0: Hey everybody, I'm really excited about today's episode. I talked with Stephanie Simpson, and we had a really great conversation about how and why we experience stress and tips for managing it. We talked about the perceived threats and the stories we tell ourselves that activate our nervous system in ways that may not be serving us, and how awareness plays a huge role in changing these perceptions and responses. Stephanie shared her amazing journey from dancer and artistic leader as a choreographer and creative producer to her ICF coaching and consulting work focused on conscious leadership and helping people nurture the connections between mind, body, and spirit. Without any further ado, here's my conversation with Stephanie Simpson. All right. Welcome to the Building Thinkers podcast today. I'm so excited to be joined by Stephanie Simpson. I think we're going to talk all things coaching, um, some conscious leadership, maybe a little bit of stress management. Stephanie's going to help us be less stressed. So I'm really looking forward to that. That's always a good thing to work on. Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank
1: you for having me. I'm excited to chat about all those things.
0: So we like to kick off lightly with where did we meet? Was there anything about Our first encounter.
1: Yeah. So we met at South by Southwest EDU. And I think the first time like specifically was at the evening leadership journeys event, which was so fun, put on by big picture learning and was just a wonderful way to connect with people, hear stories, support our leaders in the space and then have like a dance party. And so I think that's how we first connected. And um, it was a lovely evening.
0: Awesome. It was so much fun. I've met so many amazing friends through South by EDU. And then uh, we both had the opportunity to be mentors. And so I'm curious about what your experience was like in the one-on-one mentors. It's fast and furious, but what were some of the things that people kind of brought up to you? And maybe that'll lead us to into some of your journey and background.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I this was my it was my first time at South by EDU and was really excited to be a mentor there. And I was working with people who were interested in conscious leadership, also how they could create workplaces that were sustainable for the humans. So really like how are we creating culture that allows people to thrive and not just survive in their workplace? So talking a lot about stress and our relationship with stress as well as the art of feedback, which I think is actually pretty integral to creating a sustainable, healthy workplace culture is how are we creating these feedback loops. Um, so those were the main things that uh, came up with my one-to-one sessions. And like you said, they are very fast and furious, but then such a wonderful way to, to really connect with people in a way that, that um, is a little more focused than maybe some of the, the networking events and all of that.
0: Yeah. I had an opportunity to go to lunch with somebody who had mentored me in the previous year at those sessions and catch Mm. up with her. And we were talking about how the space of mentorship just there's something about the fact that you've already agreed like as the mentor to be there and open up to you know whatever is really on their mind and i think it's it's a special kind of space because people are seeking that they want support and help and guidance and then it also i was reflecting on how it doesn't need to be so formalized or one way that somebody's the mentor and somebody's the mentee because i have a beautiful group that's been Recently, in the past couple of years, flourishing of just my internet friends, like that, have become mm. a part of an extended community of entrepreneurs and people in different spaces that I learn so much from, and then share what I'm learning too. And it's not
1: where it's a mutual role, right? Mm, yeah. What the word that kept coming up to me was like peer mentorship, peer coaching. That there isn't this like hierarchy. That we all have something. That we can bring to the table and how are we how are we supporting each other as peers to continue to move forward
0: yes i love that okay so stephanie tell us a little bit of your story tell us what brought you to the work that you're doing and what it is that you build today
1: yeah so um i love sharing this story because it, it to me it makes complete sense but then to sometimes to the outer world they're like how did that happen you started in the arts and now you're <laughs> coaching and consulting in you know the corporate space and for me i will say the theme that comes up for me when i like think back on my own journey is really just following my curiosity and the things that interested it, interested me and then kind of figuring out how they all connected maybe later but just really trusting where my inner compass was leading me so I started my professional career in performing arts, media arts, entertainment, first as a dancer, then got really into musical theater, uh, shifted into the directing and the choreographer role, and did that for, like, full time for a good 15 years, while also always having some aspects of education. So whether it was being a teaching artist... um, I did my first master's and MFA in dance performance and choreography. And so then teaching at colleges and high schools. So there's always an interest of how am I also giving back and how am I empowering the next generation and using the arts as the vehicle to help them understand themselves in a deeper way and be able to connect with the people around them, whether it was friends or the world around them. So really through the lens of arts education, that philosophy and that perspective of seeing the world. And it was in that first master's program when I had to decide what I wanted to do my thesis on that I got really interested in the mind-body connection as it related to being able to show up and perform to your best ability. And so specifically at the time was looking at dancers and you know how could they be more confident when they're on stage or in auditions. And at the time was also really connected with the basketball community and the basketball world uh, and had access to some re- really high level basketball coaches. And they were talking about the same sort of things with their players and talking about how a lot of the coaching that they do, especially when they're going into playoffs and all of that, is really more around the mental state of their player and not the physical state. And that really like a light bulb went off. And I was like, ooh, how are we doing this? Are we doing this? Or where is there an opportunity to do more of this when it comes to dance and the performing arts? so i started studying sports psychology and positive psychology and self-psychology and taking those ideas like specifically what a sports psychologist would do with a um, client and bring that into the dance studio so really looking at their relationship with fear And how fear was either holding them back or at times actually helping to move them forward. And how were the stories and the narratives they were telling themselves, like their mind, how was that affecting their body, both internally as well as the actions that they were taking or not taking? At the same time, I was also learning a lot about leadership and how my role as the leader in that space played a big part of them getting to this peak performance place. So looking at how I changed my leadership style to meet each of the individuals where they were at, but also the group as a whole. And then what what did I need to do to facilitate healthy group dynamics, create trust, navigate conflict, you know, all of that to get the whole group as well to that place of performance. And that thesis really became both the physical thesis and then my written thesis, where I was analyzing my creative process through these three different sports psychology models, situational leadership, group development, and group cohesion, really became the foundation to the work I do now, 12 years later, with my corporate clients, because what I started realizing was, wait, what we call performance in dance and theater, is also the same in the corporate space, whether it's, you know, a salesperson needing to perform in closing deals or so an advertising agency needing to perform in terms of pitching to new clients or coming up with ideas. And then really specifically around groups and teams and how are we empowering leaders and managers with the best skills so that they can become conscious leaders and creating a space where everybody feels valued and encouraged and are really collaborating and working together, especially when, because we can't get rid of adversity and conflict and obstacles, like that we actually need them to be able to continue to learn and grow. But how are we navigating those those moments in a way through consciousness that it does lead to growth as opposed to creating unnecessary stress? And then not that the opposite of Mm -hmm. growth is burnout, but in a lot of cases, like leading to more burnout than we are more forward movement. Wow,
0: that is incredible. And I love the connections and the way that you describe your curiosity Really leading you in so many of those directions. And I love when it's something from one field translates so nicely into other work and, and all of the sports analogies that come with you and the science of that. One of the things, I mean, there's so many things to dig in on, but one that I think our listeners may find interesting in particular is in this leadership space and with corporate clients where's the starting point for you to help them understand the mind-body connection? Because oftentimes it seems we kind of act like brains on a stick where it's like in the corporate world, it's just about our minds and what we say, but we forget the rest of the body is not taken into account except for the suit that you may be wearing that's bringing you into the meeting. But how do you start with that work? And one of the sentences we like to use is if only people knew that, so maybe something like that you've learned in there, if only people, if only leaders knew that, like,
1: where do you start? Mm, that is a really wonderful question. And I will say that it's different for each person and each client, right? There's something that I would, that what I've noticed is the typical kind of entry point is everyone has to navigate stress, right? And so, Um, that's usually a place where people first bring me in and I consistently tell people and I, and it connects with them because they're like, oh yeah, I feel that is that stress lives in our body and, and our mind is the thing that kind of like triggers it, but our body is what's feeling it. Right. And when I teach about stress, whether it's in companies or I teach at a college as an adjunct right now we talk about the three like stages of stress or components of stress. And so the first thing is the stressor, right? And the stressor is a perceived threat. And that, and so right there in the definition, it's our perception of what we think is threatening. And so what ends up happening is that trigger, that triggers then literally our nervous system, which is, in the body, right? And and we all have different ways that we can understand, like we, we um, little alerts, right? Whether it's we get like sweaty palms or our breathing changes, or we feel that not in our stomach, right? So it's all in our body. And when then we go into what's called our stress reaction. So that's the fight, flight, freeze. And right now also a lot of information coming out around fawn. So the four Fs as opposed to the, like the three Fs that we have. And then the reaction or the outcome of it is called the strain. So that's like what is it's usually something that's probably not as healthy because we're not like taking care of ourselves or creating what I would call little interventions along the way. So when I explain it to people like that, that stress is not just like a mental and emotional thing, that it's actually a biological physiological response. People tend to go, oh, I know what you mean. Like, yes, like I know that when I get overwhelmed, I, you know, start, I can't eat or I have this big knot in my stomach or I get really exhausted. And it's like, well, yeah, that's the strain of not taking care of yourself throughout the stress cycle. And then a lot of people feel like, well, I can't change any of that. And so then that's where like the consulting and coaching work comes in. Well, remember the stressor is a perceived threat. So if we can change our perception, which we do have control over, then and how we choose to see things, then we change what we think is threatening. And then that Mm -hmm. changes our relationship to stress.
0: Yeah, I saw that you referenced um, when we get down to books, one of the Brene Brown books, and so she always says, the story I'm telling myself is, and I find Mm -hmm. that sentence stem really helpful, and I have my own kind of personal norm and team norm with, with many of the teams I work with of assuming positive intent because our brain does really like to make up stories and it would prefer a clear story over uncertainty, even if Mm -hmm. that story is incorrect. And so I Mm -hmm. find that a lot of the work, the personal work that I've done in therapy and my own internal work has been around the rewriting of those stories
1: to be accurate (laughs) and helpful. Yeah totally and i and i love i love that she says that and how that's becoming more mainstream of that people know more about brene brown and that because it really is all about stories right which also connects back to my background in the arts right is we're telling stories all the time and really a lot of the stories we're telling ourselves we're not even aware we're telling ourselves right so the power of therapy the power of coaching to be able to give that space where you feel safe to uncover some of these stories and go, oh my, I didn't even realize that that character was in my head, right? And then being like, well, who do I want to spotlight? What character that's in my brain do I want to give more attention to? And which one do I not, right? And, or one of my favorite things, I call it like our inner gremlin and our inner cheerleader is like, what's the inner gremlin trying to protect me from? And can I give it a better job so that it's actually doing what it is it's setting out to do, but in a way that becomes my teammate, as opposed to feeling like it's always fighting me?
0: Oh, it's so good. It's uh, That one's really connecting for me because it's some of my own work that I've done as well that I find really helpful, which is around that idea of, what is it protecting me from when I first worked with a therapist and understood the psychology of anxiety that I was experiencing and understood the the physiology and the brain science that was so helpful for me to understand that it is actually a mechanism that's working up, like it's just working in a way that's not serving me. And even in the past, mm. it might have been serving me in certain childhood situations or previous situations where it was an adaptation that I developed that, again, no longer served me. And so shifting that has been so powerful. What do you, where do you go to with somebody that is kind of, so they've recognized the soundtrack or the thing that's going on, but it's really sticky to rewire it because it's such a neural pathway that's been that way. For a long time because I know it's not as simple as just here's the news story. How do you help clients have that one really replaced in their minds?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And as I was listening to you, I was just thinking about the work I'm doing in therapy right now, also around anxiety and being like, yeah, like I also really appreciate that people are being more vocal to talk about it because Um, I know when I was growing up, it wasn't something that people talked about a lot. And so um, it's just really wonderful that more people are coming to be uh, open about it, to know that we're not all we're not alone and that like we all experience some sort of anxiety and overwhelm and stress. And that's what being human is and that there are ways that you can support yourself in growing and moving through it. So to answer your question, there are multiple ways that I work with clients. So I am an ICF certified coach and went through a program called IPEC. And one of our things that we were trained in was the the framework that IPEC has, which is called core energy leadership. And there's also an assessment that people can take that shows them how they're showing up in these seven different levels on a good day, and then also in their stress cycle. And so when I saw that and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is like what I so when I I actually went back to grad school a second time and that time studied psychology and specifically was looking at our relationship with stress from a holistic mind, body, spirit perspective. So when I found IPEC and they had this, I was like, this makes complete sense. And what I always tell clients is that the more awareness we can create, that allows us more choice which then gives us more power and agency. And a lot of times with anxiety or even just a lot of stress, we feel like we don't have any choices, right? That this is happening to us, that this is just the way it is, like all of that. And like you mentioned, some of those habits did actually serve us at maybe some other time, right? So if we can pause when we, in order to actually re, wire you know the 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 neural pathways we have to create that space of pause so that instead of instinctually reacting the way that we used to we create space where we then can respond and we get to choose a different way and in that place of pause going back to actually the body is like we are trying what we're trying to do is shift away from being in our sympathetic nervous system and tap into our parasympathetic nervous system so doing things like focusing on the breath or I was just teaching this to a client the other day or grounding and like placing the hands on the like thighs or feeling the feet in the, on the floor helps to bring us back to the present moment and remind ourselves that we're safe. Because what's happening when we go into like stress and anxiety and overwhelm is that we think that we're not safe. Right. And so we're either fighting back or running away or freezing or people pleasing, which is what fawn is. And so we have to first remind ourselves that we're safe in that present moment. And then from there go, what do I want to choose to do right now? Mm -hmm. And then it's just continuously practicing that, because just like you said, we've been practicing something else for so long that we need to now choose to practice and consciously practice something else and be persistent in that practicing, Mm -hmm. right? Just the way we would anything else in life. I'm also a runner and it's like, well, I'm not going to be able to run a half marathon in the way that I want to, you know, the day after signing up for that race. Like I need to create a plan. I need to practice. I need to reach out for help at times. I need to rest, You know, there's so many things I need to do to be able to get to that end goal. And the same is when we're trying to work with our stress and work with our anxiety is like, what are the different tools that I can use? And I always tell people what works for you one day may not work for you the next day. So how can you empower yourself with a bunch of different tools um, as you move forward and who can you reach out to for support and help? Hmm.
0: That's so great. And I think that it seems to me, and maybe it's just the circles I've been running in recently, but that more and more leaders and more and more uh, large corporations and startups and everybody in between is really recognizing that this is not an add-on, or this is not something that it's just on their employees to figure out for themselves, but is key to organizational development because all of the interactions between the humans that are trying to get the work done are all predicated on the way that we either feel safer or don't, the way we show up the way we want to or don't, you know, and then all of the kind of repercussions of that. And I just think really simply the, the Slack dot, 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 when, when somebody is responding back and you're waiting for it, all the different things that could be going in your mind as a just simple moment where you could just go off in different directions. Or you might be the person that's writing that and delete, delete. Oh, I don't want to say it that way. Delete, delete. How much time is wasted in this stuck, either not feeling safe or, or you know, um, not assuming positive intent and or not speaking up when you know there's something that needs to be said because there's a power differential, or all those other things, and how rooted they are in our understanding of mind, body, spirit, and those stories that we're telling ourselves. I think, have you seen that coming further along, or maybe the types of clients that find you are, are already in that human's first practice?
1: I feel like it's all over the place to be honest. Like there, I think there's an acknowledgement that things aren't going as well as some people want them to go. Right. Especially as we all went through a collective trauma with COVID and, you know, figuring out what work looks like now and people are still very much figuring that out. Um, I still have like individual clients who are, navigating what that looks like in terms of being hybrid or fully remote or fully in person, having leaders that are trying to manage that. And it's shifting all the time. Right. And so I think the one thing we all have to remember is that things are changing all the time. So how are we empowering ourselves to be able to go with the flow and navigate those changes as opposed to fighting those changes? Right. Mm. I think, the other part of it is, like you said, it's it's not just on the individual. I do think companies are starting to realize this is part of our responsibility as well. I mean, just from a financial standpoint, it makes sense for them to invest because every year Deloitte and some of these big consulting agencies put out a study and burnout and absenteeism and turnover and all of low performance and stuff, that costs money to to these Mm -hmm. companies and so it actually is cheaper for them to invest in the people that are working there and in their mental health and their well-being from this holistic perspective also because we can't tap into our critical thinking our problem solving our create creative spaces when we're in our stress cycle because we literally everything is shut down in our system when we go into our stress cycle like the catabolic hormones of adrenaline and cortisol and all of that is like their job is to be like nope just get to safety and so like Mm -hmm. if you think about just being in a tunnel and not being able to see side to side and you're just doing that one thing and it's not working it just continues to cause more issues Mm -hmm. as opposed to being able to take the blinders off because you get out of the stress cycle and go oh, wait a second, there's so many other things we can try, right? So Mm. for leaders that I work with, it's getting them to realize that this is a both and situation where it's like, how are they showing up? How are they providing resources for their team? How are the higher ups providing resources for managers and leaders as they progress? I think that's a very big gap that we have right now Mm. in the corporate world or in any workplaces you know just because you're good at the thing that you got hired at and you worked your way up that way doesn't mean you know how to be effective at managing humans it's hard to manage ourselves as a human like you know like then to have to do that with others and so how are we investing in In literally the humans, I always get asked, well, what industry do you work in? And I was like, I work in a lot of different industries because I'm there helping people to understand what it means to be more human so that they can connect with other human beings. (laughs) And every industry has human beings, right? So I don't know if this is answering your question, but um, I I do think that people are seeing that. I think the challenge is as humans, we also want things to happen right away, right? And so really committing to the fact that this isn't going to change overnight, right? This is really a marathon, not a sprint. And how committed are organizations to continuing to make this a priority, knowing that if this is a priority, it will support all those other priorities like building a product and sales and high performance And when it's not a priority, it's actually in direct conflict with the thing that they probably want to get to, which is having really good numbers at the end of the day.
0: Yeah. Wow. One of the things that stood out to me is this, you know, when you're talking about we can try other things, it just the word that came to me was it's hopeful when you realize that you Mm. can change. I know it was personally helpful when I realized I could change and I could um, better understand and manage anxiety and I could better understand the way that my mind works is also a source of wisdom. When I realized that some of the things that I might've been worried about just signaled that I really valued them, that I wanted to do a really good job for my Mm. client or whatever was going on or my family. And then being able to leverage that, it becomes in a way a superpower where you can leverage your mind and the way and understand the way it works. But one of the things that you were saying about trying these other things just left me with this feeling of oh there there's hope in this that these things can shift and change which is tangential for me into the type of work or maybe even more closely connected than tangential because I do a lot of work in activating human potential around learning and development but i want to get mm. to this like the the hopefulness do you have any stories or examples maybe of something you've seen turn around in either the client work individuals or corporations where Um, It was really encouraging to you, maybe.
1: Well, a few things that came up as you were speaking was this idea of hope of like, oh, yeah, we have agency to try new things. The flip of that is when we get stuck. And I think we've all heard this at times of like, well, that's the way it's always been done or like, well, this Mm. is how we do it. And I always tell people those are actually little like moments to go, ooh, when are we stuck in kind of like a toxic trauma cycle, right? And so when I talk to people about, like, I'm helping people create trauma-informed, human-centric workplaces, I've gotten questions of, well, what does that mean? People come and just dump their trauma on you. And I'm like, well, no, I'm not a therapist. So that's not what I'm doing. But things like when I see a when I see a new manager or even, like, a manager who's been a manager for a while and I'm hearing them say things like, gosh, like, my direct reports, they just, like, they just don't get it and, like, blah, blah, blah and all of that and i know that there's a part of them that when they were working their way up the rank didn't feel like they were supported by their manager it's a moment for me to say let's pause how did it feel when you were coming up in your early in your career and you weren't getting the support and it's like well but i figured it out but what would you have rather had happened and we you know creating that space to allow them to actually be like you know, it sucked. I didn't I I mean I I appreciate that I figured it out, but I felt like I was always fighting. I wanted to have more support. I wanted this and this and this. And I go, okay, well, now you're in a place where you can do that. You can make it easier for someone else. How does that shift the way you want to show up as a leader? And I think what people don't realize is like people who have worked through that frustration or that trauma was is exactly what it is. They don't then want to set up that same cycle. Right. But if we're not giving people the space to become more aware that, like, it also wasn't okay that you had to fend for yourself, like, I'm glad that you succeeded, but that wasn't okay. Let's not continue that same cycle because that is what trauma is. That is toxicity. So, what other choices do we have now? And I'm thinking of a client who actually came to me because she was transitioning into thinking about retirement in the next few years and like what she wanted that to look like. And throughout our, our coaching engagement, we did a little bit of that, but what really started sticking out to her was, especially when we were using that framework was how she was being a, a more effective leader in her workplace. Like she, she used the framework to really help her go oh wait, Like what I was doing before was maybe not actually effective leadership. Maybe I'll try this other thing. Right. And, and being, um, kind to herself, knowing that trying things and we talked about like playing around with things and experimenting with things like might not land the way she wanted it the first time but how can you continue to play with it and the more that she did that she actually released a lot of her own anxiety because it was like oh there isn't one right way there isn't there isn't a wrong Mm. way it's more about me showing up and continuing to show up for myself and my direct reports and building that connection right and and getting feedback mm-hmm. from them so that they knew. So, and, and the most powerful thing, I think any leader can ask somebody is like, what does support look like for you, right? As a leader, we're not supposed to know everything, especially about the human in front of us, right? So like just asking, what does support look like for you? And that changed her whole energy mm-hmm. <laughs> around to her with her team. So that would be an example.
0: That's so powerful. Um, It reminded me, I'm doing some research for a learning experience I'm working on around human potential and curiosity. And the premise is to try to help people. This is, you know how they say, you write the book you need to read. Well, I'm building the course that I need to take myself. And it's trying to solve the problem of learning overwhelm. I just feel like there's so many different mm-hmm. things I want to learn in so many different directions and I could do this or I could do that. And I want to be more intentional about prioritizing what it is that I want to learn and then use all of the neuroscience and the things that I know about learning to, to build out that plan and do it. But anyway, in researching that I was listening to Dr. Andrew Huberman, the Huberman lab, and he was talking about how play is the portal to plasticity, but he went, Further into explaining also how agitation is an entry point to neuroplasticity. And so that's why playing and trying and experimenting and actually making the mistakes brings up these specific chemicals. And so that opens up the ability, that agitation of actually making a mistake, trying something, making a mistake to then learn from that mistake the right way. And I think I had pieces of that puzzle, but it was new to me to think about why the experimentation why the play really provides that different space, in particular for adult learners, which is who I primarily work with at this point, who have been a little bit more set in their ways. And I'm always thinking about, wait, we have this neuroplasticity and we can keep learning and evolving. Why is it that adults, it's challenging. And it's not just like we have older brains, that is a piece of it, but it is that we are afraid to play, to try to experiment. We're afraid of what it might look like. We're afraid of trying something part way and not looking smart or pronouncing the name wrong or whatever it is that stops us from what children just naturally do. They just go for it. My five-year-old and eight-year-old think they're gonna be MLB players. And (laughs) I hate to break it to them but there's probably not in their cards. I'm not going to tell them, but like they just go for it and they're wonderful little baseball players and try and experiment and play all the different positions because mostly they're, they're not afraid.
1: Yeah. I, I love this space that you're in right now. As even before you said the word play, I kept being like, well, it's, we have to play. (laughs) And then you said play. And I was like, yes. Um, And then I was like, yeah, what stops us from that? And you said it was like fear. Right. And, and that comes up in different ways for different people and what I kept thinking about as you were speaking was like how much of it is is tied to our definitions and beliefs of success oh, um so good. and so good. that and, and and the reason that comes up a lot is I'm constantly reminded of the subconscious unconscious like messages, stories I'm telling myself about success, um, especially, you know, being on this entrepreneurial journey, and being like, wait, but that's not what feels good to me. But then having to be like, wait, but I've been patterned to think that's what I want for so long. So it's going to take time to, to recalibrate that, right. And so I wonder how much that's connected. I mean, speaking from my own experience, I feel like the times that I'm afraid to go big and play and experiment is because there's some sort of attachment to what I think success looks like and not wanting to fail, right? And yet there are moments where I can pause and go, wait a second, some of the best things that you have put on stage, whether it was a musical you directed or a contemporary dance piece you choreographed, some of those best moments came out of a mistake that one of my performers made. And being like, whoa, wait, what did you just do? And instead of being like, that was wrong, me going, that was interesting. Can we explore that a little more, right? So it becomes, this is, as I'm thinking about this and verbalizing it right now, again, it's a both and, when you think about it in terms of teams, it's allowing people to go big and the leader of that team, not responding in a way of of that was wrong and consequence, I guess. Now, I know that this is a broad topic and yeah. there are times where it's like, wait a second, that we really cannot do that, right? But if we're trying to create spaces where people feel safe to innovate, right? And create something new, then we also have to be curious about mistakes and what are we learning from that? So the other thing that came to mind as you were talking is, what is our relationship to mistakes? Like, do we look at them as being bad and failure as being bad or are we coming at it? And what was coming up for me is that uh, idea of growth mindset of like, oh, that didn't play out the way we thought it would, but what are we learning from that? And how can we use that information the next time we decide to experiment with something? But it really does, it needs to be, a space needs to be created by the leader that allows for that. And then the people feeling safe to do that.
0: Mm, It's so good. It really got me when you were talking about what's our kind of definition of success and our attachment to how do we view mistakes? All of that is super relevant. And to just tie it back to where I'm at right now, I'll be vulnerable for a moment. I know that my attachment, like I, I am wrestling with kind of the art the war of art right now in this course I'm trying to get out because what you were saying about this idea of success that's been ingrained, I want to just play with this idea right now, but because my niche is in learning experience design, it's really easy and I feel really successful when I'm doing it for other people and it's their content and I'm helping them do it and put it out there to the world, can do that all day. But when it's my direct content like that I have full creative control over, that's part scary to me because mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be the mm-hmm. expert, right? And then I also realize that this idea of expertise is really evolving for me because the way that technology is moving right now, the way that creativity is moving, no one is the expert. There are just people that are continuing to learn and people that are not continuing to learn. And those people that are continuing to learn are gonna pass everybody else by. And so that is why to me, this moment of, how do I help people take curiosity and take what I've learned about learning and help them do prioritize learning, build a learning habit, that could be the ultimate type of ongoing human potential building. Because then once you know how to learn, then you're unstoppable. And I think back to all the things that I've been able to learn. And each time I was maybe somewhere over my head, I learned so that I could catch up to that. And the next opportunity then came in the next one from what I was able to figure out. And if I hadn't built that skill, I think I might be doing the same thing I was doing 15 years ago. So Thank you for Mm. thinking about success and mistakes.
1: Yeah. I love everything you just shared and I really appreciate you sharing it because I think, at least from my perspective, stepping into that like consulting coaching role can sometimes put this pressure of like, we need to know everything, right? And like when we don't, then, oh, who's gonna trust us? And I'm trying to shift that idea too around the fact that, oh, what makes me good at what I'm doing is the fact that I'm constantly learning more about what I'm doing and being honest about that. When you said the word expert, there was something I was listening to somewhat recently and I'm not going to uh, quote this correctly at all, but it was like the expert in anything is the first person to say, I don't know everything. Like that's a true expert of being like, I oh, don't good. know good. everything I feel and I'm okay with saying that. <laughs> yeah. And I'm okay with saying that. And like, and, and being curious to know how to grow, right? And so like everything you were saying to me also was like, how are we also defining learning, right? Like, is it mastery or is it just like being open to play with something new, right? And like that in itself is, is a, a habit to, you know, try to cultivate in ourselves and in others.
0: Right. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the pieces for me in this work has been about starting with the end in mind in a way and and leveraging natural curiosity. What are the things, so I intend to start with kind of what are the things that are naturally going on in your life already in these different kind of curiosity categories that I made up and like allowing you to have some creative constraints to think about categories of life and how those things are going. And because I'm a strategic consultant, I want to do basically a fun gap analysis of where are the things where you want more growth, where you want a new habit, where things are not going as you want. We can be grateful for, all the things that are going great, but this is going to be about what are the areas you want to improve and how can we plan learning habits around that? So I'm excited. Mm-hmm. I will, I will mm-hmm. share it with you when it's uh well, I'll share it with you along the way. If you want to be a part of my uh, internal group, that's giving me feedback. <laughs> that I would, be love fun. that. <laughs> um, I would love oh, that. Oh, great. I, and that also made me think maybe we need the entrepreneur support group or something. Cause there's, Similar things that come up when you're in this space of entrepreneurship that are different than in um, a, a corporate team or in a startup team or things like that, that I've learned a lot.
1: <laughs> yes, I agree. I feel like me being in this space full time now for the last like almost two years, I'm constantly learning talk about like when you said we write the book that we like need to read or whatever. I mean, it's no, it's not lost on me that stress in our relationship with stress is the thing I'm interested in because it's also the thing I'm always practicing. (laughs) And this last two years has been a wonderful experiment on, you know, thinking, oh no, I got it. And then being like, no, you know, like, look what's coming up now. (laughs) And like, how are you going to balance this? And what tool are you going to use today to help support you moving forward and stuff? So Um, yeah, I totally, I totally agree with that. Let's go to
0: share any book recommendations, podcast recommendations. And then I want to make sure we get to where can people find you? Where can people reach out to you? Are you accepting new clients? Any of that stuff?
1: Yeah, great. So I think Brene Brown's great. We've already talked about her. So her dare to lead book is really wonderful for anybody who wants to become a better leader. And I will say that the way I define a leader is you don't need to be a formal leader in your organization. We are all leaders of our own lives. And so I think her book is really wonderful in the sense that she's talking about real case studies. She lays out some frameworks. She, it's interactive near the end. So I definitely recommend that. There's another book called Burnout, and it's written by two sisters. And it's Geared specifically towards women, but I think anybody can get information like get value out of it. But that's a great book, and I actually listened to that one in an audiobook and they read it, and it was a wonderful way to go through that book. In terms of podcasts, I am a huge armchair expert, podcast fan, and Dax and Monica, and just all the different people they bring on. They've actually had Andrew on about a couple of times, I think, and just being able to learn from both the stories that you know celebrities or artists that they bring on like how they've navigated their journeys i think is really interesting like talking about storytelling like we can learn a lot about ourselves by listening to someone else's story but then on thursdays they also bring experts on usually a book they've written or things like that and so it's a wonderful way to uh learn a little bit about a lot of different things to then be like oh what am i really curious and then go deeper in them so i listen to them a lot And then in the also in the line of storytelling one of my favorite podcasts is script notes and it's two writers script writers but they talk about not just writing and storytelling but also the culture and like things that are going on now and it's been really fascinating to kind of actually step back and go oh wait yeah like there's so much power in the stories that we're putting on tv that we're putting in on film podcasting now, right? Like in the stories that are being shared there. So anybody interested in more of storytelling and thinking about that's a great podcast to, to listen to as well. And then to find me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, I'm just Stephanie Simpson coaching and Stephanie with a pH. My website is Stephanie dash Simpson.com. And I'm always looking to connect with people and definitely taking on both one-to-one clients right now, as well as corporate clients. And there's various ways in which I work with corporate clients in terms of meeting their needs and developing something that works for them and their culture.
0: Wonderful. Okay. I'm going to be sure to put all of those links in the episode description so that everybody can find you. Stephanie, this was so much fun. Thank you so much for coming on. I learned a lot as usual and um, I'm just so excited that we're connected and we can continue to be on the entrepreneur journey together. Thanks so much for listening to the Building Thinkers Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. And if you enjoyed what you heard, please leave a podcast rating and review. That helps more listeners find us in the world of podcasting algorithms. You can find out more about my learning and development strategy services at buildingthinkers.com. And remember, there's no limit to what you can learn.